0: The scripture reading for today is taken from John fourteen fifteen through 27, Jesus' Christmas gift, the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am your Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Vanessa. We are in the Advent season, um, the time that the church all around the world prepares to celebrate Christmas. Um, the central gift of Christianity, where God the Father gives his child to the world to reconcile himself to all of us. But I always like to remind myself and us uh, as, as a church, Christianity is not just about father and babies and uh, Mary and the virgin birth. It's also about the gift of the Spirit. Christianity is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And no Christianity without the Spirit can be complete. And so it's good to remind ourselves of who the Spirit is and why the Spirit is given through Christ. And so that's what uh, today will be all about. We're looking at the Gospel of John. John was the disciple closest to Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, we get... A lot of the kind of insider scoop on Jesus. We get Jesus' prayers in John uniquely. He's the one that shows us and shares Jesus' private prayers. John tells us about uh, the inner life and inner relationship of Jesus with his Father. But also, and especially here in John 14, about his relationship with the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're looking at it. And really, the question is, who... Or what is the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit a force? Should we say it? Is the Spirit a person? Should we say he or she? What's our relationship to the Spirit? How should we think about the Spirit? For many Christians, I think it's slightly mysterious. So let's look at what Jesus has to say. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or counselor to help you and be there with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Here you have the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is our connection with God. He is our mediator. He is our advocate at the throne of God who intercedes for us on our behalf with God. He's the one who was obedient to God's will and came in the world to act out God's perfect will. And so when the father looks at the son, he sees perfect obedience, perfect love. More than that, when the father looks at us, he sees Jesus. Jesus acts. Jesus mediates. What does the Father do? God the Father. God the Father is the source, the authority, the majesty, the holiness. It is he who orders all of creation. It is he who creates and makes things the way they are and provides for everything in creation so it might thrive and flourish. So Jesus acts, he's the active uh, expression of God's purpose and uh, will, and he mediates. The Father orders and provides. What does the Holy Spirit do? He is the gift who applies the truth of the gospel to each of us. He's the counselor. He's the one that comes alongside us. He is the one who illuminates and shows us the truth, the truth and the falsehood within ourselves, but also the truth of God. He counsels, he helps, he illuminates, and he provides life, spiritual life. And there you see the economy of God. God the Father, orders and provides. God the Son acts and mediates between God and His creation. And the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates, the one who counsels, the one who gives life. And who or what is the Spirit? Verse 17. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice, he, not it, not she. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract force. The Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit just as you can with Jesus God the Son, and the Father, God the Father. With God, it is always personal, and it is the same with the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing I've noticed, being a a pastor, you know, I've been a Christian 20-some years now, and there are different kinds of Christians. And the kind of Christian that I've never personally really understood that much are the Pentecostals and the Charismatic types. I had a friend who tried to take me to a charismatic church, and i got to tell you, it freaked me out a little bit. And in a charismatic church, a Pentecostal church, there is a great emphasis on the relationship with the Spirit, calling down the Spirit, expressing spiritual gifts, doing things under the power of the Spirit. A lot of crying a lot of holy laughter, being slain in the Spirit. I do not understand that, by the way. My ham to my best friend, and I still don't understand it. When I was at uh, Presbytery, they used to call the Presbyterians the frozen and the chosen, because we didn't do any of that stuff. But the Pentecostal church, the charismatic church, is the part of the Christian church that is, is expanding the most in the world. And one of the reasons is this confidence in the presence of the Spirit. Charismatics, Pentecostals, tend to be fearless. They go to places with no resources, no training. They get convicted and they go into the darkest, craziest places in the world without any preparation, without any help, and they start proclaiming God's Word and they create ministries where nobody else could. There is a fearlessness about them. There is a confidence that God will provide through the Spirit. There is this personal connection with the Spirit, claiming the Spirit's power, claiming spiritual gifts, not depending on any seminary or organization to authorize, but just going and doing. And there's something about it that is wonderful. And so I've always been intrigued by this aspect of God, and this is the aspect of my prayer life that I try to cultivate. It's easy to pray to God the Father. You know, that's how Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father. It's easy to pray in Jesus' name. He tells us to do that. But when was the last time you prayed personally to the Spirit? Ask the Spirit to address a problem in your life. Ask for the power of the Spirit when you felt weak or troubled or angry or upset or in an impossible situation. I'd suggest that that's not a bad thing to cultivate to develop some of that fearlessness, to develop some of that confidence in any circumstance. Because I think this—that that is exactly what Jesus is promising here. The spirit of truth. The word cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. For he lives with you and will be in you. Is a reminder right here that the essence of God is this relationship with God, being a faithful Christian, being part of God's family. The essence of it is this relationship. You know, one of the standard challenges to Christianity are people who say, prove, prove to me that God is real. Where is the evidence? Where is the proof? If God is real, show me, and then I'll believe. And what that attitude misses is this personal element of God. God created the world, he orders, but he is not in the world physically. Looking at his creation reveals certain things about him, but God exists independent of heaven and earth. He existed long before they were created. He doesn't need them and he doesn't dwell in them physically. We will never discover God's secret house in some obscure corner of the world. NASA will never send us pictures of heaven, like the beautiful pictures it's showing us of Pluto right now through uh, New Horizons. That is never going to happen in this universe. Because God is separate. God is not an object or a thing or a fact to be discovered. Rather, God is a subject, a person to be known and loved. And to know and love God means having the Holy Spirit in you. That's the only way you can have this relationship, and that's the only way you can know that God really exists. His presence spiritually right within you. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is talking about the Spirit there. How do you prove that your mother loves you? How do you prove that your spouse loves you? You know it inside. It is not a matter of external facts. And it's the same with God. And it is the Spirit in you that is the guarantor. Remember, we looked at Galatians last week, Galatians 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The only way you can know that God is real, the only way that you can have faith in him, is if the Holy Spirit is in you. If you have been born again, that you have become a new spiritual creation because of his presence. God is not some kind of head knowledge. He's not the result of some kind of investigation or some experiment. He's a relationship that we have. And you can be absolutely sure of his presence just as you can be absolutely sure of those who love you. In fact, the surety that we have in people's love for us lasts longer than anything else. Everything else in our life will fade away, but not that. And as long as the Holy Spirit is there, we will have the same confidence in God as we approach our final days, our final death. Because He's right there, no matter what else goes on. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Because of the Holy Spirit. So the first point is this this idea of personality. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is a person. And through that person, we can have a relationship with God and know God, deep in our inner core. Well, what does it look like to have the Holy Spirit in you? What difference does the Spirit make? Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, These are some of Jesus' last words. This is right before he goes to the cross and he is speaking to his apostles. He's telling them what's about to happen and he's comforting them. He is promising the gift of the Spirit. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have ever said to you. The Spirit is a gift who dwells within us. But he doesn't just sit there. He is a counselor. He is an advocate. When we are confronted by challenges in life, when we are feeling small or worthless, when the world condemns us, where we don't perform up to our own standards, when we begin to condemn ourselves, the counselor is right there reminding us of who we are. A child of God, beloved and secure. And no matter what happens, the counselor, like a spring of water, is bubbling up with that new life. As long as we have the Holy Spirit, there are no dead ends there is always the possibility of new life, of new beginnings. As long as the Holy Spirit is there, there will always be hope. Because the Holy Spirit reminds us of our true eternal identity. Children of God. You know, I I was once uh, at a counseling center and uh, I sat in a, a counsel, counseling meeting. I was learning how to uh, be a Christian counselor, and there was this one woman in particular that struck me. she was an addict, and she lost her family and she'd lost her children. she lost everything. she lost hope. she was completely depressed and crushed and miserable and um, she did not like me. I was trying to tell her about Jesus, and I was trying to give her hope and a sense of meaning and it This woman had pretty much nothing. I mean, you would think of anybody that you ever met who anything you offered would be a step up. It would be this woman. But what she told me with great anger was her deepest fear was that she would get so depressed, so low, that her life would get so dark that she would be seduced by cults like Christianity. No matter how low her life and how much was taken away from her, she was, had this fear that Christianity was some kind of mind control. That if she gave into it, she would lose herself. She would become some kind of cult member or some kind of robot, unable to do her own will, locked into this, lockstep with other people, with dogma, with doctrine. Become a drone, essentially. But remember... The Spirit, it's amazing. The Spirit comes with a divine courtesy. There is no mind control. The Spirit comes as a counselor. The Spirit comes as an illuminator of truth. But the Spirit never comes into our life to crush us or overwhelm us or to take over our life. There's a lovely place in Isaiah where he talks about God's presence and God's spirit. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. All the spirit will ever do is remind us of the truth about God. But he will never smother us. There is an aspect, a tenderness, a generosity to the spirit which you can only experience by experiencing it. But there's no mind control. There's no overwhelming of who we are. The Spirit is given by God into our hearts, and all he does is call out, Abba, Father. Reminds us that we are God's children. And illuminates the truth about God. The best illustration I ever heard about what the, the Spirit does in our life is the Spirit illuminates the truth, illuminates God in the way that if you've ever been to see some ruins uh, in Greece or in Egypt or in Israel, and you've seen one of those light shows. I went to one in Greece uh, at the Acropolis, and you sit in the darkness, and you have a lecturer telling you about the Acropolis, and then suddenly a light goes on. And suddenly there it is, illuminated in the darkness. It pops into existence. And the words become irrelevant because the beauty and the reality of the, of the Acropolis itself is right there. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't crush us. It doesn't take us over. What it does is give us a perspective on who God is and our relationship with him. It illuminates the darkness. He. I should say, illuminates the darkness and reveals the truth about the nature of God. So I have a challenge for you. We're coming up to the new year. And typically this is a time where people make New Year's resolutions. New beginnings. A moment of clarity, hopefully in our life, where we lift our heads up from the mundane challenges of our life, and we think about the year ahead, and we try to imagine our best. We try to think about the things that would make our life richer, and more productive, more beautiful. Here's my suggestion. Use this Christmas season, use this new year, to pray with the Spirit, for your future, to pray for the things that the Spirit brings in this next year, to rely on Him to follow through in your resolutions rather than your own will, and see what happens. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are the gifts of the Spirit. Which means, if the Spirit is in you, and you ask Him to grow you in those areas, you will grow. Because that's what the Spirit is there for. To grow new spiritual life in you. To transform you. To prepare you for your relationship with God. Love, joy, peace. Where is the love in your life? Are you giving the person that you love or the person who loves you the attention, the time, the energy they deserve? What is the name of that person? When was the last time that you prayed that your love would increase? Try it this Christmas. Try this for a resolution. Try praying for those in your life that you love. Are you joyful right now, this year? If you look at this past year, has this been a joyful year? Why not write down the reason and ask the Spirit to change it? And if he doesn't change the the circumstance, he will change your response to what's happening. Pray for the things that steal your joy. And ask the Spirit to remove them from your life. Love, joy, peace. Where are the places in your life that you're not at peace? There are sources of angst and not peace. Your job, your relationships, your family, a particular person, a particular circumstance. Write it down. Get in the habit of including that in your prayers. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you peace in that area of your life. Patience. Be honest with yourself. Are you growing in patience as you get older? Or are you going the other way? Patience is a sign of the Holy Spirit growing. Cultivate. Ask for patience. Think about the times that you get really upset. Is there a pattern? What in your life could be changed to make you more patient? Kindness. Are you a kind person? Do people call you kind? When was the last time you did something that was kind? That wasn't seeking some kind of reciprocal attention? It was just purely generous. When was the last time someone you dealt with, a friend... A colleague, an employee said, thank you, you're a good person. Are you known for your goodness? A gift of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit is goodness, is kindness, is gentleness. These are all things that we should be cultivating, all things we should be praying for. Self-control. Are there areas of your life that are out of control? That don't feel safe, that don't feel orderly, that threaten your life or your happiness or your family? Pray that the Holy Spirit will intervene. God is in control of everything. And by praying to the Spirit, you are applying God's power to the circumstances of your life. A friend of mine, Christian, once told me that most people that he knew, he was a pastor and a counselor, live in only a very small portion of their life. They live in the part of their life that they got comfortable with, the part of their life that doesn't scare them, that over the years they got used to. But our lives are like mansions, vast with many rooms. And because of something negative that happened in our past, because of a bad word, a bad experience, because of some circumstance that we didn't go into that part of our life, most of our potential life is left empty. And we don't even know. And his point was, part of his role as a pastor and a counselor was to help people inhabit the fullness of their life all the possibilities of their life, all the rooms of their life, without fear. To let the light in and to let the life flow out. And it's kind of a hard concept to think about. I didn't really understand it until I had an experience. I'd invited some people to um, visit my family in England. And uh, we went over there and my family always has dogs and after we'd eaten... I was going to take them out and show them the the woods that I grew up in where we used to build forts and camps and all kinds of stuff. big part of my life. And we're heading up that way, and my friends walking with me said, why don't we go to those woods over there, to the left? And you know, they were trees, but I never felt that those were the woods. I always went to the right, and I was trying to remember, why did I never turn left at the top of the road? And I realized, this took a few days, I realized that when we were kids at school, me and some friends went on our bicycles up to those woods, and these big boys came, and they jumped us, and they stole our bicycles. And it traumatized me, traumatized us. We had to walk home. That's where the monsters live. And I never went back. And so here I was, age 30, and the monsters still lived in those woods, and I never turned left. All the time I was growing up, It got such a habit that I didn't even see them as a possibility of taking the dogs for a walk. They were out of bounds. Not part of my imagination anymore. Not part of my world. Because of that trauma all those years ago. That's what the pastor was talking about. Our lives are filled with areas like that. Where a bad word, a bad experience, a failure, a humiliation, a shame maybe an ancient shame, has closed off our life. So it's not even present to our minds, to our imagination, to the possibilities when we think about things. Rooms in our life that are dark because of bad things. The job of the Holy Spirit is to bring light, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to open up the rooms of our life. So there are no parts of our life that we can't go to and be part of, be present to, to flourish in. So all the rooms are filled with light. So all the aspects of who we are are fully lived out. That's what the Holy Spirit does if we pray. Final thought here. Verse 27. Peace I live with you my peace i give you i do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid how can jesus say that have you noticed by the way how the world seems so filled with so much fear so many problems i was in uh, england for the summer and my sister, who is a very level-headed woman, she's an emergency room nurse, she's seen it all, the calmest woman you'll ever want to meet, she said for the first time, I've never heard her say this, that all the, the war in the world, the, the movement of refugees into Europe, the threats of terrorism, for the first time in her adult life, she's feeling uneasy, like the, the world is shifting, like the old certainties are being challenged. I have never heard her talk like that. Now, this was before the attacks in Paris. This was before San Bernardino. America, some of you, the world in general, is filled with fear. Filled with people who don't know what's going to happen, who are worried about the future, who are worried about what's going to happen to them, to their children, to those that they love. And yet Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Is that just hyperbole? Is he just spouting hot air there? Well, no. Whenever somebody comes to me worried about something in the world, I always point them to the Bible, and I remind them that the Bible doesn't just have a beginning, Genesis, and a middle, Jesus. also has an end the book of Revelation. And what does it say at the end? God wins. Heaven and earth are reunited. All things will be made new. Every tear will be wiped away. Well, what does that mean? N.T. Wright, um, a British theologian, said this. See, he said there's an analogy between the church and the Christian life and a four-act Shakespearean play. The first act is the Old Testament, and it's a tragedy. The hero is Israel, and although there are triumphs, and although there are aspects of the Old Testament where God is very visible, it's really a history of people rebelling and going against God's will. Again and again and again. It's a tragedy. And it's filled with suffering and misery. But then you get a second act. And the second act is a romance. And the hero is Jesus. And although everything seems lost on the cross, although he dies, the hero triumphs over death. There's a fourth act, the book of Revelation. All's well that ends well. Nothing is wasted. Every human life will come to fulfillment. But that leaves the third act out. And that's the act that we are in right now. And the thing about the third act is it's not written in the Bible. Because it is the part of the play, it is the part of the story that you and I are writing. It is the part of the story that we are living out in freedom. We have been given a script. We know how it ends. But we're given the privilege and the responsibility and the freedom to improvise, to write our own part of the story. We don't have to worry about the ending. The ending has already been written. We don't have to worry about who the hero is. We know what the problems are. And God, through the Holy Spirit, invites us to live out our life in the light of that truth. And because we know the end, we cannot get it wrong. Whatever we write, whatever happens in our life, whatever decisions or choices we make, we cannot screw it up because the end is already written. And therefore, Christians of all people can be fearless. Christians of all people can go into the dark places of the world and the scary places, can stand up to the monsters, can stand up to evil, can be fearless in the face of threat. Because our lives are already in God's hands and the Holy Spirit is the guarantor. That's why Jesus says, live fearlessly. We have the freedom to write our story, but the end has already been written. And your future and my future are in God's hands, and he is in control, and he's not afraid of anything. That's all we have to remember. There is nothing in this world that a Christian should ever be afraid of. There is no bully too big But we have to back down from. There is no evil, there is no dark place where we cannot go and bring light and truth. And that's why it's a gospel. That's why it's a gift. That's why Christmas is all about the light and the wonder and the beauty. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Christmas, for the gift of Jesus who comes to us so vulnerable, so tender, for the gift of the Spirit, the power of life, the power of God living within us. Lord, let us believe. Help us to pray to you as your Spirit, boldly, to apply the power of your Spirit, boldly, to live lives that are fearless. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.